Just while the boys and girls are heading out there, if you want to turn with me to the book that we're going to look at today, we're going to look at the book of Ruth, page 267. We're not, we're not actually going to read any part of it because I'm going to try and tell the story, but if you had it open before you, you could uh, track with me the, the things that I'm saying, the story that I'm telling, and see it there in God's Word. These trolleys are great, aren't they? Um, that one there looks like if, if you touched it or if you sneezed too, too much near it, uh, it would all just come crashing down. I think Claire's gone. Yeah, she has. Claire's, this, this reminds me of Claire coming home from her shopping. She does the big shop once a week, usually on a Thursday. And she's been doing um, self-scan recently. Are people doing that? Anybody? Yeah? So the way self-scan works is you scan in your shopping yourself, throw it in the basket, and the idea is that you then, I guess, don't have to put it all through the till. You just pay and go. But they have to do random checks to make sure that people aren't just um, filling their trolleys and then paying for two of the 128 items or whatever. Claire gets random checked every week. There's, there's something about her. They just, you know, they can, they can tell. Um, so, yeah, these trolleys just fill me with dread. She's not in good form, you see, when she gets random checked with a full trolley after a self-check. So um, we'll not be doing any of that today. This morning I'm going to tell you a short story, and it's one of the greatest harvest stories Once upon a time, a young woman set out from the village of Bethlehem to go and glean in some outlying fields. I say once upon a time, but I don't mean that it's a fairy tale or that it's a fiction. I just mean that it happened quite a long time ago and that it's a a very beautiful story, and you'll see that as it unfolds. This story did take place in time, in real time, Actually, we're told that it took place in the time when the judges ruled. Uh, That's the time before Israel ever had a first king. The barley harvest was beginning. So one morning, this woman set out to glean. She was planning then to spend long days under the Middle Eastern sun, picking up the stalks of barley those that had been left behind by the the teams of harvesters. She hoped, maybe against hope, that she'd be able to gather enough to feed her and her mother-in-law, just enough to keep starvation from their door. She rose early this particular morning, and she started gleaning at the first light of dawn. And the young woman, her name's Ruth, She had plenty of time to reflect on the events that had brought her to this town of Bethlehem. She remembered her childhood in the land of Moab, this land to the east across the Dead Sea. It was in Moab that she'd first met Killian, the handsome young Israelite, where she first met his parents, Naomi and Elimelech, the refugees. They'd come to Moab because they were fleeing from a famine in their home country of Israel. 
Ruth remembered just how glorious those early days were for her. They were exhilarating. The joy of meeting Killian and his family, that sense when they married that the whole of their lives stretched out before them, the excitement that young married couples share, the anticipation that life is going to be good. All of that joy in those early days only served to heighten the sense of devastation when the tragedy struck. Elimelech, her father-in-law, he died first. And then not long after, Naomi's two sons, Malon and Killian, died too. Naomi, the widow, lost her husband. And now Ruth, this young wife, had lost her beloved Killian, the love of her life. The bottom had fallen out of both of their worlds. This gleaning that Ruth was doing was exhausting work, and she had to pause from time to time just to, just to stand up straight, to straighten her back. As she did that, that first morning, she remembered the long, exhausting journey that she'd made from her homeland in Moab to this strange village of Bethlehem. After losing her husband and her two sons, you see, Naomi had decided it's time to go home. Time to go back to my country, to my village, to my people. She told Ruth, listen, you stay put here in Moab. That, that life that we have tried to make together hasn't worked. Start a new life. Get a new husband. Do something different. But Ruth didn't want to. Over the years, she'd found a growing commitment in her to her mother-in-law, to, to Naomi, this Hebrew migrant mother-in-law of hers. So as she stood there in the, the blazing afternoon sun, she remembered the fears that she'd brought with her to Bethlehem. She, she remembered thinking, this isn't going to go well for me, arriving in this village. I mean, look at me. I'm poor. I have nothing but the, the clothes I'm wearing and the bundle of clothes on my back. These people won't be able to help me. They're just coming off a famine themselves, just coming out of recession. How can they help the likes of me? I'm a widow in a domestic economy where the family is provided for by the breadwinning male. I'm going to struggle to feed myself, to feed Naomi, and these folks won't be able to help me. They're stretched as they are. I'm a foreigner, a refugee among these Israelites. People tend to look out for their own when times get hard, but, but not for others, not for people beyond their own community. As she made that long journey from Moab to Bethlehem, Ruth had time to rehearse these fears in her mind a thousand times over. And all of those fears came rushing on her that first day when she set off to go and glean in the fields near Bethlehem. All those fears so real and so keenly felt. But here's the thing. They started to evaporate very quickly 
as soon as she met Boaz. Why was that? What did Boaz do that changed this young woman's life? This Israelite farmer, first thing he did, he allowed gleaning in his field. That means he put people before prophets. He said, if the bottom line on my farm takes a hit so that others can live and flourish, then I'll do it. He cared for the poor. Another thing he did, he, he noticed and he took care of the, the widows, the vulnerable in his community. If you read the story, as soon as he learns that Ruth is with Naomi, that the two are widows together, he goes and speaks to the men on the farm and he says, make sure there's extra barley for these guys. Make sure that when they glean, they'll have enough. They're widows. They need to be cared for. Boaz knew that Ruth was a foreigner a Moabitess, you'd stand out in the village of Bethlehem if you were from other parts. She asked him at one point in the story, why have I found so much favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? And he replied with the most beautiful welcome. He said, may you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. You're a foreigner. I know you are. But you're welcome with us. And our God welcomes you too. Ruth couldn't believe the kindness that she found in this Israelite landowner. She couldn't, she couldn't help but wonder what lay behind it. Why is this man so extraordinarily kind? Why does his life shine like a star in a dark sky? What's, what's going on here? It took her a while to get to the bottom of it. Actually, it, it took her the rest of her life. It took her to marry him, to live at close quarters with him and to watch his life before she finally began to understand. She saw him each day reading a, a scroll, God's law, he called it. She noticed how he used to chew over it to seem to be thinking about it all day, seem to want to talk to people about it. God's law, how do I live it out? Boaz, ex- Boaz explained to her that the Israelites, God's people, were once poor, fatherless refugees. And that they'd been rescued by their God from Egypt. He had fed them, he had given them a home to call their own, he had called them his children. And Boaz went on to tell Ruth about God's law. God's given this law through Moses to us, he explained. He gave it to us just after he'd rescued us from Egypt. He's given it to us to show us what he's like, for us to live it out so that a watching world can see what he's like. God wants us to live like him so that his glory is available for a world to see. 
And then the penny began to drop with Ruth. It was because Boaz knew and loved the living God and because he, he was starting to, to show God, to live out God's law, that God's own character was visible in this guy's life. That's why he was such a blessing to Ruth. You see, God had told his people. He'd said to them things like, don't ill-treat an alien or oppress them. He said things like, don't take advantage of a widow or of an orphan. He had said things like, make sure you leave some of your harvest for the poor. As she got to know Boaz and got to understand his life, Ruth realized that Boaz was simply being the person God had made him to be. He was simply living the life that God had created him for. He was keeping God's law, showing God's character, and she was beginning to feel a magnetic pull towards his God. I mean, who wouldn't want to be part of a community like that? Who wouldn't want to follow a God who invites us to live like that? Folks, I hope it's not too much of a cliche to end my once upon a time story by saying that they all lived happily ever after. Actually, they did. It's one of the stories. If you read it, you'll see that it It comes good. Read that story for yourself if you get a chance. And you'll see the glory of God in the life of Boaz, a man who was fruitful on his front lines. Uh, Just to tie in with what we've been saying here in recent times. It's quite a story. It's a harvest story, but as I say, it's also a story of of fruitfulness on the front lines. Boaz lives on his front lines for God's glory in the village, on the farm, and he brings huge amounts of glory to God. It's a great, great story. Um, I've, I've, as I've come to understand it better, I have to say Boaz is just a, a real hero for me uh, from the whole of the Bible. I wonder do we realize today that this can be our story too? The book of Ruth could be rewritten with the name of Ruth and the name of Boaz changed. You could be the Boaz in this story. How? Well, in much the same way, that, that Boaz was the, the, the hero in this story. We can do similar things. You see, we can care for the poor. We can look out for widows and orphans. And we can welcome foreigners. I was really struck by this as soon as I began to think about it. We have opportunities today to do this. In the life of our church, we, we, don't, we don't even need to do anything new. In fact, we're not going to do anything new because most of us feel stretched enough by life as it is. But let me tell you how we can live for God's glory 
this harvest season. The poor. Today, these trolleys stand as a, just a simple symbol of us noticing and remembering that some people in Belfast have less than we have. And we have said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure that they have more than they would otherwise have. We can do that again next week and the week after because our, our storehouse ministry is ongoing. We can give to the World Development Appeal of the Presbyterian Church. This is one of the ways in which our church, on an ongoing basis, invites Christian people, people who have been persuaded by the love of God, to be generous to people who have much less than we have. We'll be launching a new World Development Appeal quite soon in the run-up to Christmas. There's two things. Storehouse, World Development Appeal. You and I can bless the poor as the Lord's called us to. It's not beyond us. As a church, we're learning to increasingly care for the vulnerable among us and near to us. Um, I've been talking with the elders a little bit about life in the congregation these days. And we, we would love it if we could say that every, say, older and possibly lonely member of our community, one of the big blights on British culture at the moment is the loneliness of older people. Why would we have anybody lonely in our church community? Why would that be okay? It's not okay. So one of the questions we're going to ask, we're just working on this at the moment, we're going to invite you to consider whether you might visit one of our older shut-in members. And here's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping that we have more people wanting to do that work than we have need for it. Because then we, then we start to care, we start to offer the same care to people beyond our church family. We have this overflow of life. You see, God's people care for widows, and that's a category that I think could include anyone who's, who's vulnerable and who needs. Another thing that we're starting to think about, the, the Bible verse I showed you was actually widows and orphans. Another thing that we're starting to think about is how God might be calling us to bless fatherless or parentless children. Children who don't have parents or whose parents aren't able to look after them. So on Wednesday night of this week, we're hosting an event called Home for Good. It's a movement of evangelical Christians who want to see every kid in Britain either fostered or adopted as needed. I heard a lovely story this week. A church in the the States understood this vision to care for the, the orphan, the fatherless. And what these guys decided to do, not, not an easy step, they, they basically, over a period of time, cleared out the care system in their city. They were a, a big enough church with enough people and enough vision from the Lord that they took into care any kid in their city who needed care. We can care 
for the elderly vulnerable and the younger vulnerable. We want to learn increasingly to care for the migrant people who come among us. It's been lovely. I was able to tell a story last week from Globe Cafe. It's lovely that that ministry is ongoing. There are some people who are going to arrive in Northern Ireland. I don't know if you heard that story in the news. Some of the the current refugee uh, population, the, the, the office of the First Minister has a, agreed that we would take, albeit a relatively modest quota, a number of people each year for the, the next few years. Are we going to be ready to welcome and to bless those people? I'm not going to say too much about that because in a, in a moment later in our service, we're going to have a short slot updating us on the, the Syrian refugee crisis and some ways in which we might respond. Um, you'll see these envelopes in your pew. Uh, we'll reference those again a little bit later. A chance to give uh, in the very near future to that appeal. It's harvest Um, Richie was making a case for harvest for anyone who wasn't sure. I wonder if rather than being a less important thing to celebrate than it was in the past, it's more important. We are so clueless about how blessed we are. We honestly think we're self-sufficient. We've lost the plot. Everything that we have is a gift from God. We just are are blessed. We live in a good time and in a good place. But folks, the fitting response to that is to to learn to give it away. To do as, as Boaz was doing, to do as God's people do. The one who rescues us, who feeds us, the one who welcomes us into his family. He calls us now to to look like him and to do, do similar for others.